Let's take our Bibles, go back to Matthew chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew. Follow along. So as we come into chapter 11, we're going to begin to see a progression of, not a progression, but sort of the progress of Jesus revealing who he is more and more. Uh, And in that progress of his revelation... We're going to see an increase of response as well. And a lot of that response is going to be rejection. But then on the, to follow up with seeing that rejection, he does not spare the truth of redemption. And this is not just a pattern that we'll see in chapter 11 of Matthew, but it's what we see in the pattern of Matthew. Of a revelation, rejection, but then the message of redemption. And those three words will guide us as we go through chapter 11. Um... If you want sort of an outline of this chapter, the first 15 verses really are heavy on revelation. And when I use the word what revelation, I mean to reveal or uncover. Um, from 16 on to 24, you get a heavy sense of rejection. What are they rejecting? The revelation. And then verses 25 through 30, you see the redemption. But having said all that, all three of those are scattered all throughout. Revelation, rejection, and redemption. Now this morning, we're going to focus on revelation. Specifically in the first six verses, and maybe touch a few things in that first section of 1 through 15. But this morning we definitely will be focusing on Revelation. Look at verse 2 with me. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent, sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So the... the I would imagine the phrase that pops out to you is John the Baptist asking Jesus, are you the one? Like, we find out John's in prison, and I think we, f- we figured that out back in Matthew 4. Now, we're not 100 per- 100% convinced that that was when he was put in prison. He could have been in prison multiple times. But John the Baptist is in prison. We're going to find out later why, but I'll give you a heads up. It's because he told the king, you are acting immoral. John took the word of God to the king Herod and said, you cannot do that. And it's because God has said. Now, again, we won't 
dwell on that. We'll come to that in a later chapter. But we know that John knows about Jesus, so it's kind of interesting that he asked the question, are you the one who is to come? He literally jumped in his mother's womb when he was in the presence of Jesus, when, she, when he was in his mother's womb. So it is an odd question for us to consider. And you know that he knows him. Not only did he leap in uh, Elizabeth's womb when he was in the presence of Jesus, he also baptized Jesus. He was also there when he heard from the heavens, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We know that he knows Jesus. He's declared his coming. That's what he was in the wilderness for. That's what Jesus is talking about in 7 through 15. John is in the wilderness declaring someone else is coming. Someone greater than me. And he baptizes him in the wilderness. But you also have to assume that John, whether it was while he was in prison or away from Jesus, he's hearing these rumors about the things that he's doing, maybe even the things he's not doing. Remember we talked about, I think it was in chapter 8, that John's disciples came to Jesus and said, why don't you fast like us? Among maybe a lot of other things that he wasn't doing that they were expecting the one to come to be doing. Now, is he questioning Jesus and saying, aren't you the one who's going to be the Lamb of God who dies on the cross and is resurrected and sent into heaven? He's not, he's not asking that question. Because John doesn't know anything about a cross. He doesn't know anything about an arrest, a betrayal. But what he does know is blurry. He knows a little bit about this one who is to come because he knows his Old Testament. He knows that there has been a promised one. One that has been promised from Genesis to his life, his birth. But the things he knows is blurry. He has no idea of the fullness of the ministry of what could be called the Messiah or the Christ. He only has pieces, a piece here and a piece there. And a lot of the people in Judea, in the area, know a little bit about the one who is to come. They might have a piece that they took from Isaiah or a piece they took from Deuteronomy. And a lot of their uh, expectations dwelt on maybe a piece here or a piece there. Not the full picture. And not also to their fault, but the full picture hadn't been given. But what was clear is that there is or there was one who was to come, a person, a figure, a king, a messiah, a prophet, one like Moses, the seed of the woman, the root out of Jesse. There was a coming one, and everyone was waiting. Do you remember what the woman at the well said? We know that the messiah will come, or the messiah is coming. Even the crowds at one point say about Jesus, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. 
And then you know Simeon, Simeon in the temple after Jesus was born. What is he doing in the temple? Waiting on the one to come, the consolation of Israel. Here's what Simeon in the temple said as he saw Jesus. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Look what he says that he sees. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The light and the glory before this was dimmed in the Old Testament. It was dimmed, not seen. But when Simeon put his eyes on Jesus... The light of the revelation of the glory of God shined forth. God's revelation about his redemption, his kingdom, his salvation. This was all blurry in the Old Testament, but was starting to come together in piece by piece. The light has come into the world, the glory revealed. Revelation revealing. God is revealing his redemptive and kingdom purposes in this man, Christ Jesus. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered him. He gives the answer to his question. Are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus thinks, okay, John's not putting it all together. I want, let me help him out. Let me take all the pieces that John knows, and let me put them together like a scattered jigsaw puzzle. Imagine... John, he's got all these pieces laid out, this jigsaw puzzle, all that once come, once they come together and they connect the fullness of the one who is to come and he connects them all together and who does he see? He sees Jesus. And that's what Jesus does. That's his response. Jesus takes a little bit from Isaiah 29, a little bit from Isaiah 35, a little bit from Isaiah 65, maybe a little bit from Malachi, and he brings it all together in his response. These are the things you are to see when the one who is to come is here. Have you ever wondered why Paul calls the gospel a mystery? Isn't yeah, that a weird thought? Like Paul says, a mystery that is Christ. Well, it's not that it's a mystery now, but it was. It was a mystery. Okay, God, you said that you're going to crush Satan under the seed of the woman, by the seed of the woman. How? It was a mystery. There's going to be one like Moses, but greater. How? An eternal king on the throne of David. How? It was, a, it was a mystery. It wasn't because they couldn't understand. It was because the fullness of the revelation had not been revealed until Christ. 
Jesus of Nazareth, started to walk and talk and preach the gospel of the kingdom. He was making the gospel known. See, the prophets, the prophets would add a dot here or a dot there, dot here and there, and create this thing. But it wasn't until Christ came and connected all the dots that the picture was full and made known. But what Jesus is saying that he's doing, we're not going to take a lot of time into, in, into what he's saying here, but look what he says. He says he's giving sight to the blind, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And poor and the poor have good news, good news preached to them. What what he's saying is more than what's on the surface of his response. Because if you think about it, what's really the big deal about blind being able to see, the lame being able to walk, lepers being cleansed, the deaf hearing, and the dead raised if it's all going to end? If I said you could have a perfect body in this life, but what happens after? Who knows? That wouldn't be much of a prize. That wouldn't be much. That wouldn't be much consolation to say, "Oh yes, I could live it up. I can have strong muscles, great eyesight. I could hear like a dog. All of these things are great, but none of these things are the gospel. They're just a taste." They're a taste of what is to come, and they're signs of saying, the one, the one who comes to restore all things, to bring in the kingdom of God, you see all these things, guess what? He is here. The one who is to come stands before you. Here's a little idea of what the one who is to come, the Messiah the Christ, actually has come to do. If you go and look and find these verses that he's quoting, Jesus is quoting verses in the Old Testament. If you go look around them, you see that there's more to what he's doing. Let me just give you an idea. In Isaiah, he says, they shall see. Now, he says he's given sight to the blind, but here's what he says. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Pluck my eyes. Take them if I can see the glory of God. I don't need my eyes if I can see the glory of God and His majesty. He says, Behold your God. He will come and save you. I think we quoted it last week. The song, uh, let good and kindred go, this mortal also, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. Truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. It's not about getting eyesight back. It's not about the, the lame being able to talk or walk, the lepers being cleansed. It's about the kingdom of God. At the end of, oh, there's a couple more. 
The sun shall be no more your light by day. This is Isaiah. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor your brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. That's right around Isaiah when he talks about the one who is to come will do these things. And then he finishes that section in Isaiah. He says, I am the Lord. It is time, In its time, I will hasten it. And Jesus is saying, don't you see, Brother John? Don't you see my references here? In my time, in its time, I will hasten it. What does Jesus say in Mark 1? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe it, Brother John. Believe the gospel because I know you know it. I am He. I am He who is to come. I have come. Look at verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is giving a positive warning. A positive warning. It's a warning, but it's with a positive. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The one who is not tripped up by who I say I am. The one who does not stumble over my name is blessed by God. I'm the Christ. I'm the one. I'm the Messiah. And if that bothers you, we've got a problem. Do you know what Jesus is? He's a rock. He's a rock. Now, I don't mean the rock of ages. He is that. That's not what I'm talking about. He's a rock. He's the rock that's along your path that sticks out just enough to trip you you up. He's that rock. That rock that sticks out that just that much. And when you trip over it, you, you stumble over that rock on that path that you're taking. And you just get so frustrated. Stupid rock. Made me fall. You're getting that rock got in your way of the way you wanted to go. That rock hindered you from getting to your place the way you wanted it and the when, when you wanted it. You take offense of that rock. Jesus is like that. A stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Jesus is a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Isaiah said that. Peter said that. And so here we go, you and I, living our lives down our path of life, whistling along in our sin, loving our sin, unconcerned about anything else. And the word of Christ is set before us. Whoever is angry towards his brother will be liable for judgment. Oh, you tripped over that rock. The word of Christ comes to you as you're along your path. If you hate your brother, it is no different from murder. And then you remember the dust up you had at the last family gathering. You've got only two responses to that word that was put before you. The word of Christ. Be offended and stumble and fall. Or live by faith and trust him. Trust his word that he put before you. Repent of that sin and be blessed. 
don't stumble over the words of Christ. Or the word of Christ comes before you. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break into steel. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, the same two options as you come across that stone. Do you take offense and fall or do you believe the word of Christ and trust it and put to death your idolatry? Don't stumble over the words of Christ. Don't stumble over Christ. Why is Jesus an offense? He says, don't be offended by me. Why would he be an offense? When he speaks, he speaks true and righteousness. But when he speaks, who hears? Sinners, unrighteous ears, hear the righteous words of Christ. And we take it as an offense. We who hate truth apart from any gracious work of Christ in our hearts, sinners, fallen human beings, hate truth and love their sin. And so when Jesus speaks, it is offensive. This is why so many people scoff and mock Christ in Christianity, because they're offended by him. This is why many people leave the church, is because they get offended by the preaching of the word of God. This is why some people are stay-at-home Christians, because they think, I can be a Christian and stay away from the offensiveness of Christ. Or you might even be a churchgoer who ignores the offensive words of Christ. This is why Paul warns Timothy about congregations accumulating for themselves preachers who will only preach that which is not offensive to itch their ears. So I got to ask you, what words of Christ do you stumble over? What 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 commands of Christ offend you? What doctrines of Christ offend you? And you might say, I love the words of Christ. But why are you still in that sin? Why do you keep going back to that website? Why are you still constantly angry at your coworkers, your spouse, or your kids? Why are you still disobeying your parents? Why are you gossiping at work or school or even in the church house? Because you love your sin when you know Jesus says, don't do it. Stupid rock. It is being offended by Jesus and his works. His words, excuse me. But it could also be a theological truth about God and the way of righteousness that causes you to take offense. Namely, that Jesus is the only way. To eternal life. 
and his way is made very clear. Some take offense to the greater truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that exclusiveness is offensive. Like Jesus says, don't be offended by me is the way of blessing. So the only way of blessing comes through not be offended by Jesus. What about all the other religions of the world? Are they not trying their best? They all know that God exists and they're trying to be good. Isn't that enough to be blessed? Isn't that enough to get to heaven? Isn't that enough to be a part of the kingdom? No. No, no, and no. Because all other religions say that the answer relies or lies in you and yourself. And it is offensive to say that it is outside of you to be blessed, to find the kingdom, to be forgiven. It is outside of you. It is Christ and Christ alone. It doesn't work when you try to do it because you are the problem. And that's why Jesus says at the end of this chapter, come to me. Come to me. A lot of us try to fix ourselves because we don't want to go around the offense of Christ. Don't try to be better at this or that. Trying to achieve the blessing of God, you come to the one who has come. Some take offense at the way God works. You see this very clear in John 6. And even here in Matthew 11, Jesus gives, in in John 6, Jesus gives this grand teaching about why some don't believe. And he says some pretty hard things to these people in John 6. To the point that his disciples say, probably not the 12, but the group that have been following him, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? And you know what Jesus says? Do you take offense? At these hard sayings, what could Jesus have said that would be so offensive? Well, actually, what he says is summed up in our chapter at the end of chapter 11, beginning in verse 25. Look at it. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son to anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Revelation. What is so offensive? The free grace of God. And I don't mean free as in you don't have to pay for it. I mean free as it's not restrained, not bound. Not bound. God is not bound to give anyone grace, but gives it by his will. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Look at, look at me. I'm going to read this again. Okay, I, I, want, I want you to hear me read these verses, and I want you 
to ask yourself, are you offended? Just, just hear me. Jesus is saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Hidden truths from some and revealed it to others. He says, quote, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. We, we ask the question, what is being hidden and revealed? What is God's revelation speaking of? Well, he says it, quote, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What is being hidden and revealed is the truth and the knowledge of God. The Father and the Son, eternal life. What does John say that eternal life is? To know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. God, you mean to tell me that God chooses to hide the truth of eternal life to some and reveal it to others? Do not take offense at Christ. Do not stumble over his words. That's not fair, right? It's not fair. Everyone deserves a shot. No. Do you know what everyone deserves? Malachi says at the end of Malachi, which is the where the uh, the prophecy of John the Baptist coming before Christ, he ends his chapter or his book with saying, "For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant, all the evil doers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze," says the Lord of Hosts, "so that it will leave them neither root." nor branch. If you think that you don't deserve such a harsh judgment from God, then God help you. None of us I was going to I was going to say raise your hand if you don't think you deserve such er, uh, such punishment and judgment from God, but I thought I don't want anyone to raise their hand. If we do not realize that apart from what he says, verse 26, the gracious will of God, that apart from if, if apart from the gracious will of God and work of God, we're all numbered in the whole when Paul speaks of none being righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, there is no fear of God before their eyes. If that is not understood within your heart that you fit into that number apart from Christ, 
And you will always be offended when you read God's words that say, I will have mercy on whom I will. You will be offended by the free, unrestrained grace of God. But see, again, I quote Malachi because he doesn't leave it there. He says, behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet. Look at verse 14. And if you are willing to accept it, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah who is coming. I will send you Elijah, John, uh, Elijah the prophet, John the Baptist. And this is what he said he will do. Before that great and awesome day of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What is happening But the revelation of God through John the Baptist, ultimately to be followed up by Jesus, that turns, that comes, the revelation of God that comes and turns and changes hearts from hatred to love. If you remember in chapter 10, we've got a group of people where father turns against son and brother against brother. Father and his children will rise up and have parents put to death. But John comes, Jesus comes preaching a gospel that will change those people's hearts and turn them to love and righteousness through Christ. He comes to change people. One is coming greater than me, John says. Repent, the kingdom is at hand. Now we we cannot be offended. We must not be offended But believe every word of Christ, the the revelation that is proclaimed to you. When he speaks, trust. Don't take offense. When he calls, answer. Don't take offense. Trust his word. When he says, your way is wrong, trust him. When he says, follow my way, the only way to the Father. See, God has been revealing who he is and what he's been doing from the beginning. Creation, he's revealing himself. The law, he's revealing himself. Prophet, he's revealing himself. But all these, again, have just been pieces and parts of the whole. But now in these last days, to quote Hebrews 1, God has spoken to us by his Son. When he speaks, he reveals. God has revealed himself to his creation by the appearing of of his son and what is he revealing he is revealing himself god if you have seen me you have seen the father and that is true life eternal life the one who has to come is the christ and he is revealing god we conclude this point with this one suggestion i I just i just have one suggestion for you more of an exhortation. Go read the book of Revelation. But don't look for times. Don't look for seasons. Don't look for cities. Don't look for beasts. But look for Christ. Do you know how the book of Revelation starts? The revelation of Jesus Christ. Now yes, it is a revelation that belongs to Jesus Christ. But ultimately the book of Revelation is saying, Here is Jesus. And what is he saying? Here is God. And how do we know that that's what the book's about? Because that's how it ends. Right? Take up. That's why. 
You know what? I just had an epiphany. Do you know what else it says about those who read the book of Revelation? Blessed. Same as our passage. Blessed. So we close with a little bit of application. If you believe Christ and his word and are, and are not offended, you will do two things. Number one, obviously be blessed. And number two, build. Okay? Blessed and build. Now what does he mean by be blessed? I want you here to know what the blessed life looks like. Don't get fooled by Facebook and Instagram. If we could take a summary of Matthew 5 and outline the blessed life, this is what it would sound like. You know what I'm getting at? The Beatitudes, blessed, 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 blessed. Even when you are in seasons when you feel poor, mournful, weak, surrounded by stronger ones, reviled and persecuted for Christ's sake, when the world looks at your life and says it's not worth living, you, who are not offended by Christ, are happy. You're blessed in spite of the current situation because you are in Christ. And there and only there, in all of that, you possess the kingdom of heaven. You find comfort in the midst of mourning. You are an heir of God and your inheritance is the earth. You are guaranteed righteousness, mercy, and an eternal reward. All because you're a child of God. All because you're not offended by the king of this kingdom. So if we believe Christ and his word and not are, and we are not offended, we will be blessed and live the blessed life. And then what? We will build. We will build. When you trust Christ and his words, when you trust Christ, you're not offended by them, but you trust them. You believe them. You do not stumble over the rock, but you use that rock. You dig it up or just maybe where it's at. And you build upon it. You build on it. Because he's not just a stumbling rock, a rock of offense. He's also the cornerstone. The cornerstone, which is a rock. Jesus said, whoever hears my words and does them, implying believes them and did not, did not take offense of the, by them, Whoever hears my word and does them is like a man who builds his house on the rock. So how do you build? Okay, Don't take offense of the word of God, but when the word of Christ comes to you, pick it up and apply it. Meaning, build. God says, you must not neglect the assembly of the saints, a.k.a. don't skip church. Take that rock, don't stumble over it, stack it, and build your house, your life, and your family with that rock. God says, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't stumble over those words. Believe them. Pick up that stone. Build your life, your house, your family with it. 
God says, men, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Some of you may be finding intoxication in another woman, in a computer screen, or maybe even the sports you watch, the hunting you do, or the wood that you are working. You must find delight in your wife. But you cannot do that if you're finding delight in other things or other people. Stop loving yourself and give up yourself to love her, the wife of your youth. Repent, pick up that stone, and build your house. Ladies, the Lord says a quarrelsome wife is like a continual dripping on a rainy day. To restrain that type of wife is like trying to restrain the wind or grab oil in your hand. Do not be offended by Christ and his words, ladies, but trust him. Repent, pick up the stone, build your life by respecting your husband. And we could go on and on because there's so many stones to pick up and build upon the cornerstone. So I hope you get the point. You either take offense at Christ and all that he has commanded. See, that's the thing. That's really the point. If you don't, if you take offense to Christ, you will obviously take offense to his words. If you take offense to one of his word or commands, you're taking offense of Christ. You either take offense at Christ and all that he has commanded, or you trust him and his word and be blessed. As you obey, you obey his word and build your life upon his rock. So what's the one implication there? Go dig for some rocks. Read your Bible. Study it. And start building. The flood's going to come. Rains are going to fall. Judgment will fall. Upon all people. Don't be, fi- don't be found, number one, building your house on sand. That's the ultimate offense. But don't be found just laying on the rock. If these qualities are yours and ever increasing, strive, build. By faith in Christ and be blessed. Jesus asked the disciples, and this just to close, going back to John 6, when he asked, do you take offense at this? A few verses later, it appears that some did. And they left. They left him. And then he looks at the twelve and he says... Do you want to go too? What's Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What's that translation with Matthew 11? He says, Jesus, you are the one 
who has come. He answers John the Baptist's question. Not only that, but the words that you speak are revealing and show us eternal life with God. We've not rejected your revelation, but we have trusted your word. We take no offense. We believe and we follow. Don't be offended by Christ. Love every word he says. And let me tell you, they're not just read. Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Red is, I'm sorry, R-E-D. I see some confusing faces. Let's pray. God, we need your divine assistance. Because we know we have stumbled. And in our offense, have fallen, have cursed. have disbelieved. But we know of your gracious will. We know of the effectiveness of your gospel. We know that you will not let one sheep go. But we also know that we need We need to be built up. Burden our hearts for that sin that we hide. Convict us of the pain that it causes. Of the offense it is to you. Bring us to our knees. So that we might look up. Help us as husbands and wives, mothers and fathers and grandparents, co-workers, neighbors. To not be offended by the word of Christ or Christ himself, but that we might live in a way that boldly declares he is king. In Jesus' holy, precious name, amen.